I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone. Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Hey, everybody. Happy Pitchers and Catchers Report Day on the Touch Em All podcast. Phil Mackey up here in frigid 10 degree. Actually, it's like 25 degrees, so it's a heat wave in Minneapolis. And Derek Wetmore is going to be down in Fort Myers, Florida for the next several weeks. And uh, he's down there. He was perusing around the clubhouse and talking, already rubbing elbows with the Thad Levines and the Paul Molitors and the Lavelli Neals of the world. Uh, is there like a red carpet entrance for pitchers, catchers, and media reporting? Or how does it work down there these days at Fort Myers? It is, aside from greeting Lavelle for the first time, who has completely shaved his head, I might add, uh, that you might notice he's going back to the more retro look. Aside from that, Phil, I don't know if I can overstate how underwhelming day one (laughs) is of uh, reporting for pitchers and catchers. It's literally, oh, are you a catcher or a pitcher who's on the 40-man roster or was invited to Twin Spring training? Okay, be within the city limits of Fort Myers today and somehow confirm to us that you're here. It's uh, There are some guys <laughs> that come to the ballpark and maybe they want to play catch. I, I saw Trevor May throw a partial bullpen today and Zach Duke was playing catch with Mitch Garver and even Joe Maurer got a couple swings in at the batting cage and did some running in the outfield. But, like, that's it. It's just a bunch of guys who know they have to work tomorrow coming in and proving that they're here in Fort Myers and then just, like, stretching their legs. I, I wish I could say that there was some sort of Rolls-Royce red carpet gala and, you know, there's some big party that goes on and, like, the ball dropping in Times Square in New York City on New Year's Eve. It's pretty much the polar opposite of that happening. It's basically, like, did you arrive to the city limits of Fort Myers? Do you have a pulse? And uh, and uh, do you have any like torn ligaments that we didn't yes. know about? Right. Are, well, you, we on, are you on PEDs? No. Make sure that you're not going to get a suspension. Okay, we're good. Yeah, just at least check the box to say you're not doing so. We have plausible deniability. Uh, we we <laughs> were joking earlier that uh, it could be, it should be, frankly, as simple as okay, book your travel to Fort Myers, set up your condo or wherever you're staying for the couple of weeks. And then just take a selfie with a geotag and text it to Thad Levine. You should be good. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you can change the geotags now. Like I know, like when I post on Instagram, I can, I can tell you that I'm in Fort Myers, even though I'm in the Twin Cities. So you could cheat the system that way, but savage. Yeah. Like as long as you're there the morning of the first practice. So let's. There's a million things we can get into. Let's start with you, Darvish. The chase for the Twins is over. The Twins were very public about their desire to land you Darvish in free agency too. Even going back to the to before the winter meetings, uh Thad Levine was pretty open about his relationship with you Darvish in Texas. He signs six years, $126 million, with incentives up to $150 million in Chicago, and reportedly has a player opt out after the first two years. I haven't seen the exact I mean we know that the average annual value is, but I haven't seen if it's front loaded or back loaded. And so I guess my question is, are you okay with the Twins drawing a line in the sand at five years and something over $100 million? I thought in my head 
if they were to offer five years and $125 million, which would be more per year than the six years, 126 that he got, and then if you want to give him like Cy Young Award incentives and other you know hard-to-reach incentives, that'd be fine. I would have been fine with a massive front-loaded five-year deal, even if they gave him a player opt-out after two years. I went on the record and I said, if you want to give him like $125 million over five years and have the first two years be $30 million each, and then you, Darvish, can opt out if he wants to. I know that Thad Levine's on the record saying, you know, by definition, these player opt-outs only benefit the player, and there's, there, you know, there's no advantage to the team. Well, yes, it's advantageous to the player, but the benefit is, at, at worst, Derek, you get you, Darvish, for two years. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm torn on this. Like, I understand why you wouldn't want to pay a guy guaranteed money when he's 37 years old, $25 million. But at the same time, you're in a win-now window, and I would have been fine with a bloated five-year contract that uh, even gave you, Darvish, the opportunity to, to get out of town and sign somewhere else after that second year. What are your thoughts? Sure. So just to quickly get the money, and then I will give you my opinion on those contracts – um, as a podcast format, this fits my strengths better, Phil Mackey, where I can talk for about eight minutes aimlessly until I arrive at my point, and the <laughs> listeners will just have to come along for the ride. But just quickly, um, Bob Nightingale of USA Today had the contract details I saw on Twitter earlier. I'm actually reading from MLB Trade Rumors right now because that's right, reporters do that too. Uh, $25 million this year for you, Darvish. $20 million next year. That must be when they have the opt-out because after that it goes up again, $22 million each of the next two seasons, $19 million, and $18 million in the final year of the deal. Now, So that's, that's general, pretty similar to the contract that we had kind of been speculating on a week or two ago. I think, we were pretty close on that. Yeah, Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer, I've heard anyway, longtime listeners of the Touch Em All podcast and probably the Mackie and Judd show too. So uh, hey, we're we're sneak sneaky huge in uh, Chicago, the Mackie yeah. and Judge show. <laughs> right, the North Side sneaky specifically. huge. <laughs> um, and so, so, just in general, on those kind of contracts, like of course it's not a good deal for the team. That's why you'd get a better deal. I mean, if you didn't give an opt out, you would be required to pay more in actual salary. That's how it works. It's like players who have the compensation, like if they were a qualifying offer. They rejected that. Well, now they've got draft pick compensation tied to them. You don't have to pay them as much money because it's a bargaining chip against them. You can say, well, man, Arietta, we like you. You're a good enough pitcher, kind of a front-end starter, at least for the next couple years. But we'd have to give up a draft pick for you. So sorry, bud. It's just not worth it. We're going to go get you, Darvish. We don't have to give up a draft pick for him. For that very same reason, that same line of logic, you don't have to pay guys as much if you give them an opt-out because flexibility is valuable. You Darvish being able to hit free agency again in two years before he's washed up and old, that's valuable. There's something in that for Darvish. Uh, so in terms of drawing like a hard-line stance against that policy, I think that's a bad move for the Twins. I'm not saying that's what they've done, but if that's the sticking point, no, I think that's a bad financial strategy because baseball teams do get discounts for giving things like player options and, and opt-out clauses. Right, now, especially not hold on, not sorry not to uh, derail this, but just to add to what you're saying. Yes. Especially if first of all, if you get 2 years of you Darvish and then he goes somewhere else, at least you got 2 years of you Darvish. He's yeah. he's he's one of the top 15 starting pitchers in baseball. But 
I think some of the risk is is balanced out by having more money up front. If you're going to pay him $25 million in the first year and he does ride out the rest of the five- or six-year contract and you're only paying him $18 million by the final year of the contract, that's easier to swallow than if you're still paying him 25 or $27 million. So by by having the average annual or by having the you know the annual value go down you take away risk presumably as revenue goes up in baseball and your payroll goes up so after seeing the details of the contract i'm even more skeptical about the twins now maybe the twins offered him something similar over 5 years and uh, and an opt out and we'll never know and he just wanted to play and live in chicago cuz they're a better team and they more recently won a World Series with the most credible front office in baseball. There's always that aspect that he just didn't want to play here. But fi- financially, it wasn't quite as big of a deal as I initially may have thought. Yeah, I thought I was speculating for a, a while that it'd be five years and one thirty would get it done. So I was surprised to see that six you got for one twenty six. That that was just surprising to me. I I want to ask you philosophically. And then that actually it dovetails into my second part of the answer, which is you said something about World Series ready right now. I want to pick a fight with you on that. But the first thing I have to ask you is, would you rather sign you Darvish to a six-year, $126 million straight up, no opt-outs, no, no trade clause protection, anything like that, six years, 126 straight up, or would you rather pay you Darvish two years and $60 million uh, assuming that you're not one of those teams bumping up against the luxury tax, which of those would you rather have? Oh, t- two years, sixty million, t- ten times out of ten. Do you agree? Yeah, I think that, I think that that's one of the sticking points. That if you're a free agent now, and you see the freeze going on around you, you might just say, "Well, this is my last chance to really hit a grand slam in free agency, and I have to accept nothing less than you know the maximum long term security that I could possibly get." Meanwhile, if you're a free agent like Bryce Harper <laughs> next year or Manny Machado or just I'd rather not put a name example to it. Let's, let's just say you're a 27-year-old hitting free agency for the first time. You might be chill taking a two-year deal, maximizing your dollars earned, knowing that you're going to hit it again at 29. I think that there's a big gap between guys who are 31 and a little bit scared of what's happening in the marketplace and guys who are just like, at the height of their powers and could potentially hit free agency again uh, in their athletic prime. I I think that's one of the things that has really slowed this whole market. And it's scary for players and it's scary for teams that you're not saying, hey, we want to get you paid as well as we can right now and then you earn it in the future. Players are saying, no, 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 I've earned it in the past and this is my last chance in the future to earn it. That's, to me, what's yeah. going on with all these big-name guys. I'm with you. I mean, think about this. Uh, You've nailed it, and this is why in a couple of years there's going to have to be a major fight over what the pay structure looks like, what does the team control uh, structure look like. Most major leaguers, so take away the Bryce Harpers and the Mike Trouts, the guys who come up and and they absolutely mash when they're 20 or 21 years old. Most major leaguers don't break in until 23, 24 years old, maybe even 25 or 26. But let's say 20, let's say you come in, you get you get called up when you're 23 and your first full year of service time is when you're 24 years old. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're a free agent for the first time, you're 30 now. 
And for a position player, you might feel okay about giving five or six years to a position player because there's not as much risk of an elbow blowing out and it costing you a season. But if you're a pitcher and you just and you just shoved for the first three years of your career between ages 24 and 27, and your team only had to pay you a total of $1.5 million, and then your salary is limited in the next three years of arbitration, what you just said is 100% right. You're looking to make up for lost time and lost, and, and lost uh, money-making. But front offices are smart. I mean, the guy who runs the Twins contracts now, Daniel Adler, has... I think is it multiple degrees from Harvard, but at least yeah. one degree from Harvard. JD so, yeah, I was talking to Roycey about this off the air during a commercial break a couple weeks ago during our show, and he said, and Scott Boris represents a lot of the remaining clients out there on the free agent market. Scott Boris used to walk into every room for maybe two decades with a seventy-five page binder and a bunch of information on each of his clients, and he was maybe the smartest guy in the room in those negotiations. And that's not the case anymore. I don't think it's collusion. I think teams have looked around and they've said, we would be idiots to pay you what we've been paying you in the past. Like, J.D. Martinez is the best bat on the free agent market. He's 30 or 31 years old. He's missed, like, 80 games over the past couple years due to injury, and he's a bad defensive outfielder. And he wants... I think I saw that he wanted, like, that there's an offer for five years, $125 million on the table from the Red Sox, and that he's mad at the Red Sox for lowballing him. It's like, wait a second. Wait a second. You're going to be 36 years old at the end of the contract. You haven't played a full year in three years, and you're basically a DH who they stick in the corner outfield spots. And granted, you're a great hitter, but front offices... So so, so I'm sure J.D. Martinez and uh, agency are looking over at the Jason Hayward contract. They're looking over at some of the other big time, like the Jason Worth contract from a few years ago, and they're saying, well, wait a second. My guy's better than those guys. We want seven years, and we want more money. We want seven years and almost $200 million. And front offices are saying, yeah, but the Jason Hayward and Jason Worth contracts are terrible. We're not going to make those same mistakes. We're going we're gonna to bring the bar back down to something more manageable. Yeah. I mean, just as another example to that, Baltimore signed Chris Davis for seven years, $161 million. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. That's uh, Chris Davis, great hitter. And uh, the year I covered him, hit 53 home runs. Uh, good guy. But $161 million over seven years for a guy who, at best, is a first baseman defensively? Like, boy. Uh, some of these teams are going to have to swallow hard on the Albert Pujols contract, on the Robbie Cano contract. As much as I like him, you're taking that thing into your 40s, and Seattle's going to want to get out from under that as soon as they can. Now every front office in baseball, they see that if they're a good team, they want to avoid spending their way out of being a good team in the near future. And if they're a bad team, there's reverse incentive there because they want to do what the Astros did, strip it down to the studs, lose 100 games multiple times, and then rebuild with top draft picks and go win a World Series. The, the tanking thing in baseball has had a bigger impact, I think, than people realize because there's about 30%, if not more, of teams that, frankly, would never be in the mix for J.D. Martinez because it would never make sense for them add wins to their roster when they're trying to lose to get better draft picks and then rebuild. You'd maybe like to have J.D. Martinez, his current version, in four years when you're ready to win, 
But if you're one of those teams that's stripping it down to the studs and you're the Miami Marlins and you're selling everything that's not nailed down, I can't imagine wanting to add not only the payroll commitment, forget about that part of it, but the actual wins to a roster, you just you wouldn't want to do that. So they're kind yeah. of stuck in a weird spot. If you're J.D. Martinez, I understand being offended by not getting Chris Davis money. But <laughs> if you're the Red Sox, you're looking at that Chris Davis contract, uh, that Albert Pujols contract, and saying, listen, you ain't Albert Pujols, and either way, we don't want you when you're 38. So sorry, <laughs> right. here's here's the money, take it or leave it. Right. So – to bring this back kind of full circle to the Twins and whether or not they they should have gone a sixth year or more money on you, Darvish, I've done the research on $100 million contracts handed out to pitchers in their late 20s or older over the past 20 years. I want to bring that to you in just a second. But first, uh, the reason why this podcast stays on the air or on the podcast sphere, whatever you want to say, Luther Brookdale Toyota on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard, one of our main friends at 1500 ESPN. And uh, all, all I can say is when you combine some of the most popular and durable vehicles in the world, Toyotas, with some of the best, most knowledgeable, and also uh, best problem-solving people in the business, the people at Luther Brookdale Toyota, it's, it's just an unbelievable combination. And I know there's dozens and dozens, if not hundreds, of car dealerships within striking distance of the Twin Cities, and uh, there's a reason why my family and I have been choosing the same people for three-plus decades. So stop in and uh, and enjoy the same experience that my family and I have. And, and check out some of the great deals on brand-new 2018 RAV4s and Corollas and Camrys. If you're not lucky like Derek and you get to hang out in Florida for the next month, you're still going to be trudging through snowy conditions. You want to make sure that you're driving something safe with upgraded safety features. So 694 Brooklyn Boulevard, LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. All right, I know that we talk a lot, Derek, about, by we I mean like the baseball community and fans and media, about lengthy pitcher contracts and how they don't pan out. So if you're ready for it here, I've got a list, and I, it's possible I'm missing one or two of these, but I went back the last 20 years and found 18 $100 million pitcher contracts handed out to guys who are in their late 20s or older. Are you ready for the results? Let's do it. All right, well... Let's start with, I, I put him into four different categories. I put him into jury still out, definitely worth it, not what you paid for, but not a disaster, and absolute disasters. And I found, and some of this is, is sort of a subjective exercise, and you can check me if I'm wrong on this, but I'll speed through some of these categories. In the definitely worth it category, I only have two out of 18 pitchers. Max Scherzer, who's three years into a seven-year deal, and I know that you know he's not even halfway through the contract, but he's already won two Cy Young awards. He's one of the best pitch. He's a Hall of Famer, and so the fact that he's already won two Cy Youngs and he doesn't look like he's in for a decline this year, for right now, it's definitely worth it for the Nationals to have signed Max Scherzer. And John Lester is the only other guy I put in the definitely worth it bin, and he's only three years into his contract too. It's a six or seven year deal, but they broke a 108 year World Series drought, and he's been mostly really good. He was a little bit worse last year. But I think most people in Chicago would say, yep, it was worth it. Won a World Series. Yep. Uh, jur jury's still out because they just signed the contract. Oh, Steven Strasburg, jury's still out. And Zach Granke is two years into a six-year deal. He missed a month due to injury his first year of that contract in Arizona and had his highest ERA in 12 years. But he got back on track last year. 
34 years old, set to make $35 million a year until he's 37. So I'm skeptical there, but the jury's still out on on uh, on those two guys. Yep, too early to say, but I I saw somebody say Granky's way overpaid this this winter. I just I was reading something and boy, I'm not sure because if he's back to being dominant Zach Granky with pinpoint control and all of the strikeouts, you pay for that, and he's one of the best pitchers in baseball when he's on. So, yeah, fair, fair to say, jury's still out, but I don't think that you'd use that as a part of a mountain of evidence to say pitcher contracts never work out. Well, let's get to these other categories. Yes, Here's the, na- the 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 not what you paid for, but not a disaster bin. There's two pitchers in that bin, according to my research. Cole Hamels, who has one more year left on what was a six-year contract, it's like twenty million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Over that six, over the first five years, he's made one All-Star game and only showed up in the Cy Young voting once. It was sixth place, and he missed two months last year due to injury. So, you know, the, you know, you think you're getting a guy who's going to compete for the Cy Young award every year. Cole Hamels has been fine, but not amazing. Justin Verlander is in the same bin. Not a disaster, not what you paid for. Now, he was great last year, helped the Astros to a World Series, and he's in the middle of a seven-year contract. But the minute he signed it in 2000, I want to say 13, he went from being unquestionably the best starting pitcher in baseball, a Cy Young Award and an MVP in the same year, to giving up the most earned runs of any pitcher in baseball the very next season with dropped-off velocity, and he missed two months in 2015 due to injury. So he has gotten better the last couple years, but that's been a mixed bag on a huge contract for Verlander. Yeah, here's I'm, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I wasn't this. My, I was going to pick arguments, but like the semantics don't disprove your points, so I won't derail this. I think Justin Verlander is back to being that ace and is going to earn his contract, but that's that's like one pitcher that I'd maybe take issue with what where you're labeling him and. I sense from the shortness of these first couple of lists, Phil, that uh, that maybe this last list is going to be a little lengthier. Yes, and this so this is the, of the eighteen pitchers who've who've uh, in their late twenties or thirties who've earned a six plus year contract for a hundred plus million dollars. Twelve out of eighteen have been absolute disasters by my count, hmm. and that's the that's the group that people look at, including the Twins front office, and think, I don't know. Uh, boy, if we get a guy in that bin, not to mention, here's another layer to this you Darvish conversation. If you're the Cubs or if you're one of the top six or seven revenue markets in baseball, there's no salary cap. So, yes, teams can spend whatever they want to in theory. But even these billionaire owners operate within the budget of what their gross revenues are, you know, overseeing the franchise. They're not all dipping into their checking accounts to pay for free agents outside of Mike Illich for a couple of years in Detroit. So if you're Chicago, Los Angeles, if you're New York and the Yankees, you can much more afford to eat a bad contract on a 36-year-old pitcher than if you're the Twins, the Royals, the Tampa Bay Rays. You know, the, the Cubs will kind of shrug their shoulders and say, ah, screw it. If, if this is a bad contract in four years, well, we're going to have our own TV network and, you know, we got a bunch of... We got a bunch of revenue streams that the Twins don't have. If the Twins have to eat a bad contract, it's a much bigger blow to their roster construction. So that combined with this list, which I'll speed through and then you can react to it, sure. is why middle market teams like the Twins pause when it comes to a sixth year or paying a guy $25 million when he's 37 years old. David Price is two years into a seven-year contract. 
He had the highest ERA in seven years of his career in 2016 with the Red Sox and only made 11 starts last year due to injury, and fans and media in Boston already hate his guts. There's already talk that he might just opt out after his third year here. Jordan Zimmerman, two years into his Tigers contract, had a 6.08 ERA last year, and nobody gave up more earned runs. Yeah. How about Homer Bailey, four years into a $100 million contract? He's only made 26 starts over the past three years combined in ERA over six over that stretch. Yeesh. Cliff Lee couldn't even finish his contract. He had to retire due to multiple elbow surgeries in his mid-30s. Felix Hernandez, three years into his contract, total disaster, injuries, ineffectiveness. CC Sabathia had a six- or seven-year deal between like 2009 and 2015, and he, even though he did help the Yankees win a World Series in year one, he was one of the worst starting pitchers in baseball for $20 million a year over the final three years of that contract. And then there's these six guys. Johnny Cueto, who had the worst year of his career and missed a bunch of time due to injury in back-to-back years with the Giants' first two years. Barry Zito, Johan Santana, Mike Hampton, Kevin Brown, and Matt Cain just finished up a six-year contract over $100 million with ERAs of 580, 564, and 543. So that is the list of pitchers that Thanks. front offices sort of cringe at when the bidding gets up into the $100 to $150 million a year range. Yeah, and I mean, I think it goes without saying, but rightfully so, they cringe at that list because yikes. Um I think that there's one pitcher in particular I want to zoom in on because I think that the Cubs might be thinking about you, Darvish, the same way that the Yankees once thought of CC Sabathia. And it goes to what I wanted to talk about earlier, the fight that I wanted to pick with you. So I, I haven't forgotten that. Trust me, I, I write down in my dear diary every time there's a fight that I want to pick with you, Phil. <laughs> but um, in this particular case, you mentioned your World Series ready right now, and I argue that's not true. If you if you add you Darvish, then maybe that's true. Or if you add Chris Archer, maybe that's true. But right now, Pakota projects you as an 81-win team, and I think that's about right. Um, maybe Irvin Santana gets back, gives you two extra starts, and but even that, that's not even worth half a win, right? So you're talking about... Uh, Last year, I would have called them a fringe playoff team based on talent, and they sort of overachieved and and made the playoffs. This year, I think the Twins are a far cry from the postseason with their current construction. I I think that with as good as the American League is, you've got the Yankees and the Red Sox in the East. One of those is winning the division. One of them's taking a wild card spot. You've got Cleveland that's going to walk all over you in the American League Central. Sorry. So you're hoping for a wild card. And then you've got the defending World Series champion Houston Astros and the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, One of those teams is going to win the American League West, and the other is going to have something to say about that other wild card spot. So if you're the Twins, it is a deep, deep, deep uh, talent pool right now in terms of good teams. So... So to bring it back on Sabathia, Darvish, and that sort of thing, the same kind of thing you could say of the Cubs. You could be like, oh, wow, the Dodgers are going to be great for the next five years. Isn't that scary? Do we really want to be wasting this money on you, Darvish? And I think if you're Theo Epstein or if you're Jed Hoyer, you'd counter-argue by saying, yeah, they're good. They've got a bunch of resources. They're going to be scary, but we're pretty good too. And 
if we win a World Series in year one and three with you, Darvish, we don't care what happens in four, five, and six. Like, you do. You still want to win every year if you're a big market, but, like, there's no talk then about, boy, that contract was a flop. No, you won two World Series. Uh, it's the same thing I'd say of Justin Verlander. Boy, the Astros gave up some good prospects. Yes, they did, but they got a World Series, so end of conversation. Uh, and, and to me, that's just that's how you have to look at these things. They're very binary in sports. You either won the championship or you did not, and it was not quite good enough. Um, so what the Yankees did with CC Sabathia, what the Cubs are hoping to do with you, Darvish, not 100% positive the Twins are in that spot to say, yep, we're a pretty good chance to win the World Series if we spend all this money. That, to me, is an extra reason why you would not spend big money on a big free agent pitcher. That's why I would not advocate signing Jake Arrieta right now unless it's like, okay, if it's a two-year big money deal, fine, I'm, I'm interested, but I don't think that's what's going to happen for Arrieta. That's not what's going to play out. I just don't think that you can take a middle-of-the-road team like the Twins, who in their current construction will be also Rans for the postseason, and add one even an ace pitcher to it, and say, perfect, we are loading up, we're ready to win the World Series. Because then if you're not ready to cash in, Phil, here's where I'm going with this, if you're not ready to cash in on those first two, three years, and you get into a guy's mid-30s, and you're paying him big money, and his elbow could blow out any minute, that's a really bad contract to be in. You better hope that you cash in on the front end of it. Uh, I'm not sure that the Twins think they're ready for that. Otherwise, you'd think that they'd offer the big money for you, Darvish, too. So let me clarify my stance on World Series contention. I'm with you. They're right now, as constructed, they aren't in the same universe as the Astros. With what the Yankees have done, yeah. look at that bullpen. They just added John Carlos Stanton. They have the two best power hitters in baseball, maybe two of the best power hitters of all time. When it's all said and done, and Aaron Judge and John Carlos Stanton, uh, the Twins aren't in the same conversation as the Indians or the Cubs or the Dodgers right now. So I'm with you. There's like. Six heavyweight teams, maybe seven, because I like Washington still, too, and the Twins aren't one of them. But if you look at who the Twins would be replacing in their rotation, like right now, Phil Hughes might be in their rotation, and I think he's actually below replacement level. So if we believe that that even with their putrid starting pitching on paper right now, that they're still an 81-win team because of their defense, because of their bullpen that was revamped, because of their lineup that's on the rise... If you were to replace one or two below-replacement-level pitchers, like a Phil Hughes or, uh, I mean, Kyle Gibson, even with his with his run down the stretch last year, was one of the worst starting pitchers in baseball, full body of work for the six months. If, if you were to replace two terrible pitchers with two really good pitchers, now you're talking 90-plus wins. And, 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 I, and I, so, so just to clarify, I think you need either two pitchers right now via trade or free agency, like a Lance Lynn and a Chris Archer, or add one of them now and then trade for one of them in June and and get to your 88 or 89 wins with a really good bullpen and three guys that you trust in a playoff rotation. There's also, yeah. like, the other thing I would point out here, this is where I'm a little leery on Pakoda. Pakoda... Pocota has a tendency to be really conservative with young players, not accounting for potential breakouts. Jose Barrios, in their system, is 165 innings. Only, let's see, 
Uh, only 15 quality starts and a 4.08 ERA. Like, it wouldn't shock me if his ERA was over four, but I'm pretty certain Jose Barrios is going to make enough starts to get well over 165 innings, and I think he's going to jump up into that three-and-a-half range for an ERA. So, like, if that happens, obviously you can tack on probably two more wins to that total. Uh, they're pretty conservative on Byron Buxton, really conservative on some of the other players in the lineup, including even Brian Dozier. So I, I I think you could fight for some of these Twins players that are more on the rise, like Barrios and Buxton, to have bigger seasons than Pakoda gives them credit for. Uh, but either way, like we're splitting hairs a little bit. They are they are not World Series contenders unless they right. add at least one top end starter and probably two between now and the trade deadline. Yeah, and not to push back, but just to defend my buddy Pakoda a little bit. Uh, which I believe is just a computer projection system (laughs) developed by Nate Silver, which tells you something about the friends and the company that I keep. But uh, that's another podcast for another day. I I also think you could argue uh, four ERA and 165 innings, that's like about the median expectation for Braos. That's also, he's one torn ulnar collateral ligament away from zero innings and no ERA. So... The Pakota tries to project kind of a range of outcomes of what could happen, best case, worst case, median case scenario. And I think that the projections they publish represent the sort of the, the middle, like median ground. So, yeah, I think Braos will outshoot those projections too. I'm a Braos guy. I think he's their best pitcher even before Irvin Santana got hurt. Um, but, you know, there's also a lot of question marks around this team right now that they really have kind of like three starters, right? They have... Barreos, uh Kyle Gibson, Adalberto Mejia, and what? Steven Gonzalez, Fernando Romero, Aaron Sliegers, yeah. Phil Hughes, Tyler Duffy, maybe? Like it's it's not like they have this embarrassment of riches, which is why I would I would I don't bet on sports. Especially it would be unethical covering sports and betting on sports, in my opinion. But I would bet solid monopoly money that the Twins will add a pitcher before spring training is over, even if it's not Chris Archer, even if it's you know just sort of a fill out the rotation. I think that they absolutely need to, and if they don't, it's a failed off season, and that's another podcast for down the road. But if you don't add something to the starting rotation right now, I won't hear an argument for them even being post postseason contenders. Like they're not even in the same realm of of some of those other teams that I mentioned earlier. So. Um, the other thing, and, and this is maybe a podcast episode for down the road, Phil, and maybe we wait to see how this plays out in spring training, but like with the emergence of some of these super teams, you know, I'm talking the, even the Indians are in this mix, but specifically the Dodgers, the Yankees, uh, you know, the Astros, some of these teams who are great and you can't imagine any way that they wouldn't be great within the next five years, Um, I wonder if you're the Twins, are you content to just like load up for a possible postseason run and maybe try to mess around and make some noise? Or are you really going to try to keep your powder dry as long as you possibly can to make sure that when you do take your best shot, when you do take an offseason to load up, when you do trade a top prospect for some help right now, that you're really, really ready to be in that boxing ring. And right now, I think Maybe they'd just consider we're not quite of that caliber. I don't know that to be the case. I'm just saying it could explain why they haven't been uber-aggressive this winter 
despite the fact that they had ample opportunity to do that. Well, how's this for a tease? Let's let's pause our conversation here because there is at least one big thing that they could do. It takes two to tango, but there's definitely one big thing that they could do and that reportedly they're trying to do. Ooh. So let's uh, let's keep the content train rolling for our next episode and dive into sort of the next question after the Darvish fallout here, which is what next? Sure, man. What can um, you do? If you want to win the World Series, what do you have to do? What can you do? I am fully on board the speculation fun train. Um, I guess before we duck out of here, I want to give a quick plug to my personal is shameless self promotion, but I'm going to do it anyways. My personal Facebook page. Uh, I see you know a lot of reports get out on Twitter and all that kind of stuff, and Twitter's fun and it's quick. I focus just as much, if not more, attention on my Facebook page. So if you listen to the Touch Em All podcast, I think you'd also like joining the discussion on my Facebook page, which is just Derek Wetmore MLB. Uh, that's where I'm putting a lot of my quick think things, or I'll post links to my stories and podcasts, and and I take questions from people on there. And legitimately, two or three stories came out of questions I got from readers today. So um, if you're on Facebook and you you haven't quit on it yet, and you haven't quit on us yet half an hour into this podcast, uh, maybe check me out over on Facebook. Derek Wetmore, MLB. Uh, stat of the week, too. Stat of the week. Stat uh, of the week. Derek Wetmore already has uh, reached his plugs allotment on, That's right. uh, on the Touchball podcast I've got for a, spring training. A, actually, another stat of the week for you, and it's, a, it's an over-under. Uh, over-under on the SPF of the facial sunscreen that I wear... Plus 25. You you take the over or under, and we'll uh, reveal that maybe next episode. I think it's over. I'm wondering, like, how high – can you get, like, SPF 500? What's the, <laughs> high, what's the highest you can go? I read a study <laughs> one time, and I don't know if it's valid, but this is how media works in 2018. I'm, I'm just going to say it, and then some people will take it as fact, that anything over, like, SPF 30 is kind of just overkill. You're sort of just, like, wasting time. You'd be better off going with your standard – SPF 29 and just reapplying every couple of hours. So there's your uh, there's your fun fact from Fort Myers. The more you know on the Touch Em All podcast. Call it Duty Modern Warfare is here, and so is Mountain Dew. Roger that. Now you can unlock in-game rewards like only Dew can. Wait. What rewards? A do operator skin. Man, I love operator skins. Dual double XP and even Call of Duty points. You're kidding me. Double XP and Call of Duty points? This is incredible. I can't believe it. Soldier, get a hold of yourself. Oh, roger that. Look for specially marked packaging and visit mtndugaming.com for details and restrictions. Open to U.S. residents 17 plus. Call of Duty points available on 12 and 24 packs and free 20 and 23.